Welcome to the John Gets Games podcast. In this episode, you'll be hearing the audio that was taken from the live Q&A vlog that was recorded in August of 2021, and I did edit the overall vlog down to just the questions that I thought were the most relevant. Now, as always, I do want to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support that comes in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. If you enjoy listening to my vlogs in podcast form like this, then I do hope that you would consider directly supporting that campaign, and you can learn more about it by going to patreon.com slash Games. There are some other perks that go along with that support as well, like watching some of my videos early and advertisement-free, as well as voting on which of those videos are made. Uh, now, on that note, I think let's jump into the vlog. All right, the first question is coming in from Lilia, and they asked, when are you planning to get new gear? Uh, now, I specifically mentioned this in my update vlog that I put out about a week ago, that I was considering maybe getting some new gear or just doing some modifications to the studio so that I could, um, I don't know, make the videos look a little bit better. Uh, for the most part, my videos have looked just like this for years and years. Uh, and this was a huge step up in quality from what it was like before, uh, before I bought a fancy camera and lights and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's come to my attention um, that uh, my videos are fine, but they definitely uh, are outshone by many other people in the uh, board game media sphere. Uh, so I'm not really sure. Honestly, I haven't put any time into it. This last week kind of got derailed railed in some other ways that I don't really feel like going into. Um, but uh, the first big thing is, um, honestly, the first thing I kind of want to try is just pulling out my iPhone and recording myself with the iPhone. Just do some test video with that and just compare it side by side with the lighting like it is. Um, I say, this is my plan. This is Jessica's plan. She's very smart and great at debugging. And it was her idea to just not spend any money and just try something else before we actually spend money and invest in some new stuff. I do think lighting is a big thing. Um, you can't tell hypothetically right here, but when I don't modify the lighting at all um, in Final Cut, this looks super red, like a red wash all the way over the camera. So I have to do a bunch of uh, post-editing while well, I have a, a preset thing to get rid of the red and try to balance things out. And maybe I just haven't balanced it very well. And maybe it would just look better if I didn't have to do that processing. So no definitive thing about the gear just yet. It's definitely a thing that's on my mind, but um, I don't have a plan of action for it yet. Um, JC says, uh, something that has bothered me since I started following. You are so energetic. I don't know if it's exaggerated by the editing, but you pack a lot of content into a small time frame. Um, I try to do that. Honestly, <laughs> I'm a uh, pretty embarrassed about the content I used to make, specifically like five or six years ago. Uh, if you think this is high energy, <laughs> watch my like scythe uh, video or something like that. Like I'm just like yelling at the camera and I start every video off with this like huge grin and it just looks so weird to me now. I mean, that's that's kind of the way life is, I guess, when you record yourself and then you look back many years later, uh, it's easy to cringe at what things used to be. Uh, so I feel like I'm much more subdued than I used to be, uh, but I also feel like this is more an authentic version of me or at least an authentic version of board game me. Like I'm not um, this energetic about everything in life, but I'm very energetic when it comes to uh, board gaming. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a bit of a, I guess, personality or, or a persona, I guess, for John Gets Games. Uh, I, I'm not a totally different person when the camera is off, but uh, I definitely do have a bit of a John Gets Games persona, which just kind of clicks in when I turn this thing on. And I like to think that I'm not being disingenuous and that it's close enough, but um, it's hard to, uh, you know, split those two things apart, if that makes sense. And as far as, um, you know, my energy and whatnot, I don't know. I think maybe part of that's just habit <laughs> with the camera. I'm definitely, I can be pretty low energy when the camera is off. Um, and, it, it, you know, things ebb and flow for the most part. But one thing that has been even for like 14 years now is my love for board games. And so I think I try to channel that when I, uh, you know, turn on the camera <laughs> and start talking to it. 
Um, uh, JJ also asked, how do I uh, motivate and keep up that energy? Um, again, maybe just a habit. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's kind of a, a thing that I've been doing for so long. Uh, and yeah, like I said, just channeling the board game joy that I have into it um, definitely makes things better. But I would be lying if I said that, you know, it's it's always super easy. Like uh, last week, I had a couple of days, honestly, where I got very little done. Um, frustratingly little done. Like I look at my uh, task list and I record like uh, an hour and a half of productivity in an entire day, which is frustrating. You know, I'm my own boss. I'm a one person uh, show over here, realistically. And so when I see that, I, I worry about the future. Like, oh, well, I barely did anything that day. That's going to maybe put me behind in the future. And then, you know, stress can come in and all those other things. And, you know, most of those things I try to not have on screen, like I definitely talk about it more in the update vlogs than any other content. I guess I'm talking about it here. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not um, always easy <laughs> to stay motivated for sure. But, you know, it's my full-time job. So that's definitely a thing that I try to uh, focus on as well. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, NJ is here. Uh, thanks for joining in. Uh, just randomly started playing Civ uh, six. Did you ever play any Civ uh, Civilization style games? It seems like they might appeal to you as a board gamer. Um, for the most part, no. I played Civilization New Dawn for a bit. I think that was the one on the iPhone. Uh, and I played a bunch of 4XE space kind of games, like when I w like in the 90s, like some of those things that were on computers. Uh, but I never haven't really got into those things uh, recently. And I think a big part of that is just the fact that I'm not really a solo gamer. And even though these Civ games are video games, they still feel like solo game experiences because... For the most part, you're playing against uh, computer AIs, and um, the same kind of thing snaps into place with me and not really pl enjoying playing solo board games. I just prefer playing gaming structures with other people, and I know you can play a lot of those Civ games with other people as well. Uh, it's just not something that I've really dug into. Uh, so I think thematically, I've always enjoyed the uh, Civ-type theme, especially when it comes to board games, um, but... Yeah, I haven't really dug into the video games. I will say that uh, one of the newest Civ games was uh, on a pretty deep discount on the Switch store, and we have a N Nintendo Switch. And uh, last week, I was I was tempted. I was like, man, you know, it was like, I don't know, $10 or something like that, maybe a little bit more. And I was like, maybe I would try it. Maybe I would enjoy it because of the board gaming thing, but it wasn't quite enough to push me to try it yet. So maybe it'll happen at some point, but I don't have a, a, a super deep history with them. Uh, Victory BHG asks, what are my favorite Uwe Rosenberg, uh, what's my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game? Uh, that one is a pretty easy question to answer because it's a Feast for Odin with the Norwegian's expansion. And I say it's pretty easy because that is arguably one of my favorite games, period. Um, like top two, three, sometimes one, <laughs> depends on what day you catch me. Uh, I love A Feast for Odin and I've loved it since I first played it, uh, but it was kind of like an eight out of 10 game for me until the Norwegians expansion came in. And that was almost like a patch fix for all of the issues that I had with the game. And that skyrocketed it up into being a 10 out of 10 game. I adore A Feast for Odin with the Norwegians expansion. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Chris asks, what are some six-player games you enjoy that aren't party or super light games? Um, well, another easy uh, solution to that one is Concordia Venus. Uh, Concordia Venus is technically an expansion to Concordia, although you can buy it as a standalone thing. But in my opinion, it's almost more of a sibling game to Concordia than an expansion because it brings in team play and specifically you can play um, fully competitively, which I haven't tried, or you can play two versus two or two versus two versus two, which would be six players. Uh, I would say that uh, six player Concordia Venus is easily my favorite six player non-party style game. Um, I have played a few games of Sidereal Confluence in the past. That plays up to 
nine, I think. Uh, and I have played it at six and had a really good time with it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite game. I, like I've enjoyed playing it, but I don't desperately find myself going out to try and play it. Uh, but that one's quite fun. Um, uh, oh, Captain Sonar. What a great six player game. Uh, I can't remember what my favorite player count is for that one. Uh, I can't remember if it was eight or six. I think it might actually be six players. It's been several years since I played that one, uh, but it's a simultaneous team versus team um, sonar hunting, seeking out uh, game. It's uh, fantastic, honestly. I still have a copy of it. It's been a while since I played, but I would certainly enjoy playing that one again. So I think the top two, I'd say, is uh, uh, Captain Sonar and Concordia Venus for uh, playing six players without it necessarily being a party-style game. Uh, Victory BHG asks, do I play... Large miniature board games. Uh, you just saw an Ankh review <laughs> on Dice Tower. Um, for the most part, no. Um, I'm not against it. I just rarely have an opportunity to because I don't find myself gravitated towards those like big Simon type or Fantasy Flight type, you know, uh, games with lots of miniatures and all that stuff going on. Um, like I've never played Blood Rage, for example. It's one that I've been interested to try for a while, but never enough to like make it happen. Um, I actually played Rising Sun for the first and only time about three weeks ago or so, and honestly, it, it didn't really impress me. The game itself, I had a great time with the people and everything, but um, the game itself didn't really do that for much for me. Um, I like good component quality in my games, and I like good art, but I wouldn't say I am particularly swayed by miniatures at all. Like, I, I would be totally fine playing board games with zero miniatures for the rest of my life. Um, I, I would love it if the boards are beautiful and the cards are beautiful and I love all that stuff, but miniatures just don't really do anything for me. They're not necessarily a detractor, but a lot of these games seem to be very miniature uh, forward, and that just does not do anything for me. Um, I haven't watched any videos about Ankh at this point. Um, it was a similar situation where I saw it pop up on Kickstarter. It seemed to be very, look at all these miniatures, and there's a board game attached to it, and so I didn't really pay it any attention. Uh, if people start saying it's great, then maybe I'll, you know, try to uh, find an opportunity to actually try it, but um, that's not really the kind of thing that gets me excited with board games. Ted Shev asks, after playing a game of Iberian Express, my group is talking about going 18xx for a crunchier experience. Has Cube Rails spiked your interest in 18xx? Is there something that's in between complexity-wise? Um, well, I'll admit, I'm not familiar with Iberian Express. I'm familiar with Iberian Rails, Iberian Gauge, and Iberian Railways, <laughs> which are all um, Cube Rails-style games. Uh, maybe that's another one, or maybe you meant one of those. But in particular, um, with regards to 18xx, um, I actually played my first 18xx game essentially before I played any Cube Rails games. Uh, I've played three 18xx games at this point, and um, yeah, I think when I've really kind of fallen into Cube Rails style games earlier this year, it made me interested in trying 18xx again, because I tried it a couple of years ago, and I had a fine time with it, but it did not grab me in any way. And then after playing a bunch of these Cube Rails games this year, uh, I did uh, want to give it another shot and see, like, maybe 18xx will actually catch me now that I'm really digging these like 45 to 90 minute train games with stocks and auctions and that kind of thing. So I have played two 18xx games over the last couple of months. One was 18 Chess Peak and the other one was 18 EU with the drafting variant. And I enjoyed those plays to a certain extent. I liked 18 EU significantly more than 18 Chesapeake, but I will admit that um, those plays of 18xx games just made me realize how much I love the Cube Rails games because those games are so long. <laughs> Our play of 18 EU took five, six hours, I think. And in that time frame, I could have played like five other Cube Rail style games. And I'm one of those people who loves variety and loves novelty. Uh, and I would much rather play five different 
cube rails games that each take about uh, an hour to play versus one 18xx game that takes that same amount of time. Uh, I'm not saying people who love the 18xx games are wrong. That's just uh, where I, in particular, fall with all of these things. Um, 18xx games are just a little bit too long for me, and it isn't just the length. It's also the number of decisions that you make uh, in my very tiny uh, data set. Uh, it seems like you can often find yourself, again, from my tiny data set, in situations where for the last, like, two hours, you only make a couple of particularly meaningful decisions because you've set up your infrastructure, the most of the tracks are out, you're doing little upgrades here or there and increasing your dividends here or there in small ways and, you know, sometimes making big plays with stocks and whatnot. But um, in particular with with 18EU, I felt like I made just a couple of good decisions in the last, or decisions at all, realistically, in the last half of the game. And I made a bunch of really fun, interesting decisions in the first half. So I think I would enjoy that one a lot more if it was just the first half of that game. But again, people who love these experiences and love these uh, 18xx games like the full breadth of it, like seeing um, things run all the way to the end, and that's totally fine. Um, but for me, I'm just focused on the Cube Rails games. I might try more 18xx in the future. Uh, I'm certainly not trying to dissuade anyone from trying it. Um, if you're enjoying these Cube Rails style games, then definitely give 18xx a try. Um, there's a bunch of them, and there's a uh, seemingly explodingly vibrant community around 18xx games with people who actually are wanting people to get into it. Like, it seems like there's anti-gatekeeping with that uh, part of uh, gaming these days um, in a lot of corners of the internet. So definitely give it a shot, um, and maybe it'll be amazing for you, or maybe you'll realize you also prefer the shorter train game experiences. Oh, uh, there was an add-on question there. Uh, is there something that's in between complexity-wise? Um, so... As far as complexity is concerned, um, I was surprised at how not many rules were actually in most of these 18xx games. Uh, I've definitely heard people who like these games in the past say, like, the games are not that complicated. I don't know why people are so overwhelmed by them. Um, and I kind of see where they're coming from because there's a lot more rules in many of the heavyweight Euro games that come out these, ga these days. Uh, like, you know, Teotihuacan or, you know, something like that, I would argue probably has more rules than 18EU. But the complexity that comes from the decisions that you're making is absolutely there. Like, there's an incredible amount of depth that comes in there. Um, so as far as something that's in between, um, the big thing that jumps out to me there uh, is, well, I guess two games. Uh, the first one is a game called Dual Gauge. Technically, this is still about a 60-ish minute game, although I think for some groups it takes about 90 minutes. Um, and this one does toe the line between Cube Rails and 18xx because um, in Cube Rails games, you're throwing cubes around, usually, not always, uh, and doing those kind of things. Um, but in Dual Gauge, you actually lay track onto the board, and it also has things like treasuries for the companies, which some Cube Rails games have. Uh, but it just seems like there's a little bit more 18xx in Dual Gauge than most other Cube Rail style games. So it gives you that vibe while still being like 60 minutes and not having a very difficult rulebook to get through. Uh, you also are running trains in a similar-ish way to 18xx games with Dual Gauge. So I highly recommend Dual Gauge, especially as a um, uh, dipping your toes into 18xx. I think if you play Dual Gauge and enjoy that one, um, you will find 18xx even easier to get into, even though there are a couple things you'll have to change in your mind. Uh, another one that just pops into my head is specifically one of the heavier Cube Rails games, which is Trans-Siberian uh, Railway. Um, just because that one is a little bit longer and a little bit more in-depth with the uh, stock holding and dividends and jockeying back and forth, it's more like a 90 to 2 hour game for some groups. For us, it's it's 90 minutes. But um, I would also maybe give that one a try just to see if you enjoy playing a, you know, 2-ish hour train style game. Uh, so yeah, I, I recommend both of those. Both of them are also designed by Amabel Holland, who is, uh, she's one of my favorite designers at this point. But um, yeah, those are just a couple of recommendations. Also, I've made videos for both <laughs> Dual Gauge as well as Trans-Siberian uh, uh, Roads. So feel free to check both of those out and see if either of them grab you.
Uh, anyway, sorry for the really long <laughs> train games answer there. All right, the next question is from Devin, uh, and they ask, do you narrate your videos while playing the game or do you record the audio later? Um, I, I narrate it while I am playing. Um, recording it later would be incredibly time intensive. <laughs> I just can't even imagine that. Um, I actually made a video that I called Let's Make a Playthrough, and I put it out last uh, May. So if you uh, search for Let's Make a Playthrough Jongus Games, you'll find it. And I show the entire process, like a behind the scenes kind of thing for me making these videos and you'll see exactly how I make it. I, I describe all of it in detail. So um, if you're interested in learning more, then definitely check that one out. Uh, I will say that sometimes I record corrections by overdubbing. Uh, in that case, I get my recorder out, put my microphone on, and then I kind of play the issue part in Final Cut and I talk over it and then I slice that in. But it's rarely more than a few seconds at a time. And usually I only have to do zero to three of those for uh, each video. When I just flub a word, I say row instead of column or two instead of four, or just the kind of things that ha can happen when your mouth is just going. Uh, Paul Cheesable asks, will you be doing a video for Tinder's Trail and will you do other factions for Merchant's Cove? Um, it doesn't seem likely that I'll be doing a Tinner's Trail video, um, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, I've done a couple of sponsored uh, tutorials for Alley Cat games in the past, um, but they come to me sometimes for some games and uh, other times they, they don't. And that was a, one of the projects they had where they didn't reach out to me, and that's totally fine. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, I've actually played Tinner's Trail two or three times like 10 years ago, like the original uh, uh, version of the game. And I remember quite liking it. There were several times over the last decade where I almost bought a copy for relatively cheap that I saw somewhere because I remembered liking it. Um, but that being said, I didn't actually end up backing the campaign for the new one. Um, I'm not really sure why. Um, I kind of uh, go big and then soft on uh, Kickstarter sometimes. And I think I was just in a lull where I wasn't really backing any of them. Uh, so I might um, uh, acquire a copy of that one to try at some point. And if I do, then maybe it'll go up for the patrons to vote on uh, but I can't make any promises. And as, uh, with regards to the factions in Merchant's Cove, I think it's pretty unlikely that I'll be making any other videos for that. I generally try to, you know, make a video for a game and then move on from it. And I very, very rarely come back and cover uh, expansion content. But, you know, never say never. All right. Uh, Jinray asks, what is the least favorite housework that you have to do? Personally, it's ironing, ironing the laundry at my end. Uh, well, I don't have to worry about ironing because I never iron. <laughs> I'm one of those people. I just I essentially uh, never iron clothes. Uh, my least favorite household task. What would that be? I used to say cooking. I used to really dislike cooking, but the pandemic happened. And uh, from that, I kind of decided to try to get rid of that and like lean in to try and learn how to not be so anxious about cooking because I would just get really anxious and stressed about it. And I have, I think, pushed through that to the point where I really don't mind uh, cooking. Um, I don't mind doing the dishes, although I don't do them anywhere near as often as I, uh, I should. Honestly, nothing is really popping into my head as something I actively dislike. Uh, maybe mopping. Maybe that, that might be the one that I dislike the most. It's hard to say. Honestly, whenever I do household chores, I always put music on or a podcast and it makes, you know, all of these things fine because I'm just listening to music or listening to a podcast while I do whatever it is I need to do. Uh, that's not to say I'm always super timely on it, but I, I definitely uh, uh, try to, you know, lean into these things. Uh, nothing really jumps out to me as something that I hate, but that might be because I blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> Uh, NJ uh, mentioned that you uh, the switch discount is specifically why you brought up Civ. Uh, cool. I I'm not sure how long the sale is on. Maybe I should give that one a try. Um, you know, you never know without trying it. And it's been it's been quite a while. I think I probably prefer the switch over the computer just because I could you know relax on the couch or something like that while doing it. 
Uh, Victory BHG says, uh, I haven't heard more buzz on Squaring Circleville. What are your thoughts? It seems like a great Euro. Uh, so that is a game that went up on Kickstarter a couple months ago. Uh, it's being published by Spielworks, and the theme of it is there's this town in America somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it is, but it's an actual town that was built uh, with circular uh, with circles in mind, like a park in the middle and then a circular road and then a circular road outside of that and outside of that. Um, I guess the person who designed the town was a bit eccentric. And um, at some point, I think in the mid-1900s, um, the, the new town planners were like, this is ridiculous. These roads should be straight. It's super hard to do anything in this town. So they squared the town by putting in straight roads and then getting rid of all the circular roads. And I think that's an amazing theme, uh, first of all. Um, I can't remember if I actually backed that one on Kickstarter. I got very close to it. Uh, the game looks quite intriguing, and it's one that I would certainly like to try. I, I know I was on the edge about backing it or not, and I can't remember which way I fell. Uh, but beyond that, uh, that's really all I know. I, I watched a couple videos, but that was months ago, and I don't remember the specifics. But from a theme perspective, um, I think that one is uh, super interesting. Uh, Lilia asks, uh, or says there is not much information about Sheepy Time, still wondering if it is not feeling too much of a roll-and-move-ish game. It sure looks fun, but isn't it too chaotic and random? Um, well, I will say that we are still loving that game. I've played it four times now, and every time I've played it uh, with new people, it's um, enamored, everyone. Uh, the last play of it, we had an amazing time. Um, it does start off a bit roll and movie, I guess. I mean, you always have two cards in your hand, and it's possible those cards are the same card, but the cards also, um, I think, almost always have two options on them. So even if you have two of the same card, you can make a decision from those. So, you know, having a decision between the two cards, you know, is a decision. That's not quite roll and movie. And the game can get quite comboy. At the start, you know, you're just kind of moving around the circle, um, uh, but as you get deeper into the game, more and more actions and combos build up around it to the point where you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. I know I'm kind of glossing over how the game plays. I'm kind of assuming people know how it plays. It's a push-your-luck style game on a rondelle where you're going around trying to avoid a nightmare, and you play cards from your hand, and on that rondelle, when you land on spots, there are actions that you can do. And I'll say the last time we played, we had some amazing combos with, like, a spot where you could jump forward once, uh, where one player set it up so they could land on a spot, jump forward once, and then that would move them backwards twice, and then they would trampoline off that spot to move forward a number of spaces equal to the card they played, and they did the, and, and then they had that land on another spot that let them move uh, or gain a whole bunch of points based off of the tokens they had. And late game, we definitely had some pretty awesome situations with just a whole bunch of uh, combos uh, popping off, and, and we've enjoyed the game every single time we played it. Uh, at the moment, it doesn't really look like a tutorial for that one's going to be made. Um, AEG reached out and said they might be interested in a sponsored tutorial, but that hasn't really become locked in, and uh, that video has not been getting that many votes on the Patreon poll, so uh, it's possible that I won't be making any other videos for it, but I will be hopefully playing more games of it. I, I can definitely tell you that. All right, moving on. Uh, Shrey uh, says that their favorite six-player game is Medici. Check it out if you like auctions. Um, I have heard... The name Medici, the board game name, you know, off and on for many, many years. Uh, I think I did hear that it was an auction, and so I didn't care about it because up until recently I didn't like auctions. Uh, but cool, that, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Maybe I will um, actually pay more attention to it and uh, look into it a little bit more to see if that is a game um, that I might actually enjoy. Um, Six-player Euro-y style games are somewhat rare, it's true. Although it seems like auction-style games and, you know, a lot of these cube rail-style games and whatnot can uh, support higher player counts better for one reason or another. Uh, Devin Stoddard asks, what are some ugly, drab, or poorly illustrated games that you love? 
Um, the first one that jumps into my head is Hansa Teutonica. Um, there's been quite a few versions of it to come out, but it seems like they all, for the most part, have a kind of, you know, hill, uh, the, the farm yard. Uh, what am I looking for? Um, uh, they all seem to have, like, uh, just hillsides of Germany as, like, the art. Uh, some of them are more vibrant in the future, but I actually own the first printing of the game. <laughs> I got it from Germany. It was a dual-language version, a very rough rulebook uh, that I got back in 2010, I believe, um, and it was very drab. Uh, the newer ones are much brighter. Uh, the board for the one that we actually own, which I did do a video for, actually, you can see it there, um, it is very monotone. You've got a bored-looking uh, dude on the front of the front cover. Like, it definitely has all of those boring Euro tropes going on, but the game is um, really cool. <laughs> it's a really, really uh, interesting game that I played, like, 30-plus times. So I think that is the first one to jump out. Uh, as far as others, nothing's really jumping into my head at this point, although I'm sure there's got to be some because I do enjoy Euros so much. Ugh, yeah, nothing else is really popping into my head. Uh, but if something does, then I'll, I'll mention it. Um, Victory BHG says, not sure I have seen any Lacerda games on your channel. Could be my ignorance. What are your thoughts on Lacerdas or equivalently complex games like Arkwright or Coffee Traders? Um, yeah, I don't think I've actually done any tutorial videos for Lacerda games. Um, a big reason for that is because I don't have a professional relationship with Eagle Griffin games. Um, you know, something is was maybe going to happen at certain points, but um, it never really seemed to go through. Maybe they just prefer other types of videos than the ones that I make. I, I really can't know. So um, that's a major factor in it. Um, also, while I have enjoyed playing many Lacerda games. Many of them are not necessarily my favorite. Uh, like, I enjoy the novelty of trying new games all the time, but um, only a couple of them are really games that I find myself being, you know, interested in coming back to multiple times. Um, honestly, uh, Mercado de Lisboa is one of my favorites, and that's a really short one. Um, I would have no problem making a video for that one, but I don't actually have a copy of that game. Um, I liked Escape Plan quite a bit, and On Mars is, I think easily my favorite Lacerda game. Um, there's a lot of rules there, but I played it several times. And the fact that I was able to play it a few times somewhat close together meant it didn't have that huge rules teach at the beginning. And I got to dig into what the game was doing a little bit more. And I really enjoyed what was going on there. I don't own a copy of that one either. Um, so at this point, yeah, maybe I will continue to not make videos for uh, Vital Lacerda games. It's not like a conscious choice. It just is something that's kind of happened, I guess, to a certain extent. And again, a big reason for that, I think, is because I just don't have a professional relationship with Eagle Griffin Games. And, you know, there's a lot of publishers out there in a lot of games. So, uh, you know, some work well with me and others, you know, work with uh, other media creators. And that's just kind of how it works. Uh, Paul Cheesable asks, what is your taste in music like? Well, um, <laughs> I listen to a lot of music. I listen to music almost all day, every day. Um, pretty much the only time I'm not listening to music when I'm working is when I'm recording. Like, obviously, I'm not listening to music right now. Although, for a couple of years, when I would be recording playthroughs, I would actually have earbuds in and listen to, like, calm, ambient, electronica-type music um, when I was actually filming the video. I remember I did that for the Gloomhaven video that I made a very, very long time ago. Um, but as far as my tastes recently, like the last couple of years, I've, um, I've, I've leaned very heavily back into heavy metal, which is a type of music I loved when I was a teenager, you know, back in the late nineties. Um, I, I listened to a lot of that. And then in my college and then post-college, you know, in the aughts, I was really 
primarily focused on electronic type music of various styles. Uh, for the f past couple of years, my favorite artist has been Devin Townsend slash Strapping Young Lad, which is a band that Devin Townsend made. Um, he's, I think, my favorite musician that I've ever had. <laughs> I've listened to uh, every single one of his albums many, many times over the last few years um, and uh, lots of other metal type stuff as well. Although I, I oftentimes also fall back on more ambient type electronica stuff. It really depends on my mood, but for the most part, if I'm in the mood for heavy metal, I listen to that. If I'm not listening to heavy metal, it's probably electronica type stuff like uh, Tycho or Joey Fahrenbach or um, uh, Uruk Schnauss is one that I've listened to a ton of. So yeah, I guess it's two very different temperaments. If I want calming and soothing or just like heavy energy, screaming, loud, super heavy drums. Uh, in particular, I just love drums in music. Uh, in particular, just fast drums, very drum prominent sounds is something I like. I essentially like drums as like a, a primary instrument as opposed to a backing instrument. In particular, I love music that has like, well, I, I jokingly call it uh, orchestral black blast beats, essentially like, you know, big uh, orchestral sounds with, you know, uh, violins and, you know, all that kind of stuff going on while you have like some crazy drumming going at the same time. I just really dig that kind of stuff. And Devin Townsend does that sort of thing somewhat often. I, I will admit my biggest issue with heavy metal is I'm just not a fan of the screaming. It's just not a thing that I enjoy. So um, there are some uh, uh, music that I enjoy, like, um, what is it? Animals as Leaders is uh, a type of music where there's in generally no uh, audio. <laughs> Sorry, no, no audio. There's no vocals. Um, so it's like heavy metal without vocals. And I really dig that kind of stuff. Um, I also loved Dragon Force for years um, back in the late aughts. <laughs> I was very heavy into Dragon Force, specifically because they weren't screaming at me. It was great, energetic, awesome, heavy metal. And then they were like crooning about dragons and valleys and, you know, all that kind of stuff instead of just, you know, growling in my ears, which, um, you know, is definitely the kind of thing I prefer. <laughs> Uh, Chris Lodgson says, uh, dual gauge is awesome. And you 100% agree. Yeah, I I'm really digging it specifically about dual gauge. Um, the base game has two maps in it. And from my personal perspective, the maps are fine, but the game is significantly more interesting with expansion maps. Right now, there's only one expansion map pack, which is the Wisconsin and Honshu maps, but I've actually uh, been able to playtest some of the next expansion maps that are going to be coming out later, and I'm not going to talk about the details of them, but I've been really enjoying those in particular. So that's uh, definitely been amping up my love for Dual Gauge. So it's it's a system that does seem to be like it's going to be supported into the future with lots of different maps that definitely shake things up. Um, so I do think that starting with the base port Portugal map is probably the right way to go. But um, in my opinion, if you think you're going to like it, I don't know, maybe invest in a map pack as well. That's definitely money. I can't tell people how to spend their money, but um, I think the Wisconsin and Honshu maps um, are significantly more interesting than the, the maps that come in the base game. Uh, but the, the overall system is super solid and very flexible to account for lots of different uh, shakeups of how the game plays with new maps. Uh, let's see here. T. Kumar asks, what is the last board game that you played? Well, I've actually been playing quite a few games recently, but of course, as soon as I start thinking about it, they fly out of my head. Uh, so, ah, there we go. I played Imperial Steam yesterday. I have the worst memory ever. Uh, so there is a, a tabletop simulator mod for Imperial Steam, uh, which is a game that's currently up for pre-order for Capstone Games. It's going to be their Essen release. It's a heavyweight Euro game 
with some logistics and and honestly a lot going on. I played a three-player game of that with a couple friends and we all really enjoyed it. Um, it was not particularly short. Um, the game itself took us about two and a half hours and the teach took about an hour to go through, but it was also my first time teaching it and the first time playing it for all of us. Uh, but we all really enjoyed it and uh, we're all looking forward to trying to get this one played more. Um, so yeah, I, I literally played that one yesterday and I already started to forget what was going on, but uh, uh, that was a really fun game and uh, I'm hoping to get more plays of it in. Um, I'm sure I'll be talking about it in a good games vlog at some point, although I might wait until I get another game in just based off of the other games that I'm playing. We'll have to see. Uh, maybe I'll end up playing something tonight and then do a good games vlog tomorrow. I, I, I tend to do those kind of shooting from the hip. I, I don't really plan ahead for those, so we'll just have to see. Uh, Devin says, your videos and production feel high top-notch to me, feel pretty top-notch to me. You've become one of my favorite uh, go-to game channels. Minor nitpick, nitpick, maybe use a better playmat if you think uh, you need to improve something that's not beige. That's interesting that you say that, uh, because underneath this um, this tablecloth right here, this fabric, uh, is a very reflective uh, table. And um, Jessica and I actually picked this cloth out from a bargain bin at a Joann's, like, pff, six years ago, something like that, a long, long time ago, specifically because we were looking for something that was a neutral backdrop, but we got one that's got little flecks of uh, brownish color in there just so it's a little bit um, varied as well, but we didn't want something that would be prominent, like, you know, bright red or green or blue or something like that because we didn't want certain components to be lost on it. Um, I will say that after years of putting games on here, hundreds of games on here, a lot of prototypes that might have like soot on them and whatnot, it is getting dirtier. And in fact, a few months ago, many months ago, something like that, we tried to wash it. Um, we hemmed all the edges and we put it in the washing machine uh, and it came out looking just like this. Uh, so in the back of my head, I've been wondering if maybe it makes sense to try and invest in something that's a little bit new and a little bit less faded and worn down. I mean, I'm sitting here with my arms on this thing, you know, and I'm clean, but you know, over the years, these things just kind of build up. And, uh, you know, I, I don't blame you for thinking it might be a little bit boring overall, but it was hypothetically supposed to be boring. It was supposed to let the game itself pop. Uh, but, you know, maybe something different might be good. It's certainly something to consider. Uh, Jinrei asks, uh, would I recommend the Stauffer Dynasty, an Andreas Stedding game? Uh, yes, I really like the Stauffer Dynasty. Uh, I own a copy and I've owned a copy for years. Uh, I even got it played a year ago or so. Uh, I think it has some really cool ideas going on. It's got an awesome action selection system where um, your actions are variable and the, the, the sooner you take, uh, I guess when you take your turn is dictated by when, what you decided to do on the previous turn. So uh, I'm trying not to go into all the specifics of it, but it has this really kooky mechanic where you have the circular board, kind of like a rondelle. I guess I could have considered that sort of, for the Rondell's video, where you actually uh, trickle things out almost Moncala-like, and then you pick them up at different points. There's a lot of puzzly stuff going on. I'm trying not to go into the specifics, but I will say that that game also has one of my favorite board game mechanisms, which is incentivization, where as people ignore a thing, it gets better until somebody decides not to ignore it and do the thing and then cash it out. Uh, I've been really impressed with the Stauffer Dynasty. I will admit there's one thing that uh, rubs me wrong about it, and that is the endgame scoring cards that are based off of patterns on the board. I don't love those. And I, I, I honestly, that kind of detracts the game a little bit. Like it pulls it from being like maybe a nine out of 10 for me to down to like seven or eight out of 10. Uh, but um, I still like the game enough to have it in my collection. And I, I don't really see myself getting rid of it. Just talking about it right now makes me feel like I would love to play that game again. It's got some really cool puzzly combo-y type stuff going on. Uh, and I guess it's a 
kind of a boring looking thing. I mean, like it's very brownish beige going back to the other question, but it's got a lot of filigree and a lot of little details that I like as well. So I don't know. I, I don't think I'd call that a boring looking game, especially uh, considering how Euro-y it is. It definitely fits into that vibe, although some people would probably disagree with me there. Uh, Matthew Dunstan is here. Hey, welcome. Uh, he asks or says, hi, John uh, and chat. Question, do you like... Uh, do you like to set a schedule every day for working John Gets Games? Uh, what is your favorite snack between filming? Um, I don't usually set a schedule. It really depends. Um, if I look at my schedule, well, I guess I'll, I'll pull back on that and say that, yes, I have a release schedule ongoing um, as I go through that year so that I make sure that I don't overcommit myself so I know what videos I'm planning on putting out in each week. But when, when it comes to what I'm doing on a specific day, I rarely schedule that out beyond just sitting down at my computer and saying, ah, I should work on that today. Um, but sometimes things get really crammed. And if I'm looking at my schedule and realizing my release schedule is ambitious, <laughs> then at that point I might plan one, two, or even three weeks ahead. I've got a part of my scheduler where I can go day to day and say, okay, well, this, I should finish this day, this, I should finish that day. And specifically, I usually do that to figure out if I'm actually in trouble. Like if I plan out two weeks ahead and realize there's no way I'm actually going to get all these videos done, well, then I fortunately have a couple weeks to do some damage control and maybe talk to some publishers about pushing a video back or something like that. Uh, but for the most part, I just kind of in my head know what the next thing is. And, you know, once I finish a video, I look to my list and what's the next video to work on? Okay, I'll work on that one. And, you know, we got a couple hours today or something like that. I'll sit down and learn the next game. And then, you know, okay, I learned the game and I sent some questions to the publisher tomorrow. Well, film the game. And then the day after that, I'll probably edit it. Or if things go well, then maybe I'll edit it tomorrow. It's that kind of thing. Um, considering it's just me here, I can, for the most part, get by with that, just kind of floating in my head, a constant ongoing task list of things that I want to do. Um, and also, you know, if one thing isn't really working out, maybe shift something else in to try and fill that gap in, uh, in place. Uh, so yeah, I kind of wing it. <laughs> uh, and regarding uh, my favorite snack between filming, um, let's see here. Well, it depends on what kind of filming is going on because over the last many, many months, my favorite snack has been frozen blueberries. Uh, it was my wife Jessica's idea um, just as like uh, a nice snack to just munch on. Uh, we just take them out of the freezer, pour them into a bowl and eat them. It's like a you know, kind of an ice creamy kind of sensation. It isn't really ice cream. It's more like Dippin' Dots, if anything. Uh, but yeah, frozen little crunchy blueberries is something I like. But I'm only going to do that uh, during the day if I'm not going to be filming myself because, whew, that gets all up in your mouth in a very gross way. <laughs> so uh, I, I definitely uh, don't have those snacks when I think I'm going to be filming myself at um, any time soon. Uh, but for the most part, um, during the middle of the day, uh, honestly, the, the, my, my go-to snack is usually a slice of cheese. <laughs> if I'm uh, you know, feeling peckish or something like that, I'll just go to the fridge and grab a slice of cheese and then uh, keep going if there's, if there's cheese in there. I, I definitely lean on that somewhat often. Uh, Ross asks... Uh, uh, question. Thoughts on Cascadia? I enjoyed your playthrough of Public Market, and any chance you could include some sort of snippet in the beginning of your videos about how heavy a game is? Um, my thoughts on Cascadia, to start things off, are uh, it's a game I like to try. I watched somebody's video of that a while ago, and I remember thinking that it looked pretty clever. Um, that's kind of all I remember, though. <laughs> I believe it's an abstract game where you're putting different animal tokens down onto different spots, and I think based off of how you draft those animal tokens, you get different opportunities. That's all I remember, but I do remember thinking that it's a game that I would love to try at some point, but I, I haven't actually had a, a chance to. 
Um, and regarding um, snippets of the beginning of the video about how heavy a game is, that's interesting. I mean, I know um, I put at the beginning like the overall player count and how much time it usually takes to play. Um, as far as listing up play, uh, a heaviness, that one is a little bit more subjective. Um, part of me feels like the, the playtime that I put there at the beginning of the video should hopefully uh, offer some idea of how heavy the game is going to be, although some long games are not particularly heavy and some short games can be quite heavy. Um, I'll keep it in mind. Uh, I'm not really sure how I would go about doing that, but, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I, um, I, I wouldn't be able to figure something like that out. Uh, Zombie God asks, what is the hardest rulebook slash game you have ever tried to learn? Um ever tried to learn? Uh, I would say probably uh, the original rulebook for 1867. Uh, that was the first 18xx game that I played. Uh, this was a couple of years ago before I'd played any of those or really any of these cube rail style games. And I had a, uh, a planned get together where I was going to be playing this with some 18xx people. And they told me that they would teach it to me. But before that, I figured, well, I'll just read the rules first. And then when they teach me the rules of the game, it'll kind of really get locked into my head. And I got about a quarter through that rulebook and stopped. It made no sense at all to me. It was definitely the hardest rulebook that I've ever tried to add, to get through. And I, I like I said, I I failed. <laughs> it just there's too many terms, too many assumptions that the rulebook had about what I should know in order to figure it out for me to work. Um, as far as the hardest rulebook that I've had to learn that I actually was able to figure out, uh, that would probably be Feudum. That that one still takes the cake. That rulebook was very dense, very long. That video took an incredible amount of time to put together as well. Uh, yeah, I think I, I would put that up there as far as a game I actually did learn from the rulebook, but as far as the most difficult one to learn from the rulebook. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Head OV Metal says, uh, SYL and Devin Townsend rule. Uh, Ziltoid, uh, yes, fully agree. Ziltoid, um, the, uh, the Omniscient, uh, the first one, is one of my favorite uh, albums. I've listened to that one over and over and over again, uh, especially when setting up a lot of these games uh, and frequently when editing. So <laughs> I've, I'm a really big fan of that album. It is, it is incredible. Uh, Devin says, all right, I perked up when I heard heavy metal, even more so when I heard uh, SYL, uh, horns up, dude. <laughs> SYL stands for uh, strapping young lad, which is a very angry, very loud type of music, but I, I really like that stuff sometimes. <laughs> Some of those albums are pretty incredible. City is an amazing album. I've listened to that one over and over again. Honestly, I, there's been weeks where I would just listen to City and then I listened to Ocean Machine and then I listened to City again back to back. Those two albums came out from Devin Townsend in the same year and they're so different from each other. Anyway, I could talk about his music for a while, but um, those were amazing albums. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Morgan says, when you do rules reading and writing, what is your process and what are you looking for? Um, well, Rules, reading, and writing. Well, as far as reading is concerned, um, the first thing that I jump to is the setup page. If I'm actually going to be doing a tutorial, um, I'm going to jump to the setup page and really go through all those things. If I'm just trying to figure out if I'll like the game or not, then I usually skip over the setup and I just maybe look at the components list to get an idea of what different things are called. And then I just scroll through the rulebook until I find a part that says like, your turn or like main actions or something like that, or, or you know, the, the, the game flow. Um, so there really are different perspectives there. Like if I'm reading the game to know how to teach it to other people, I will start at the very beginning and work, work my way all the way through it. But if I'm just trying to get the vibe, I, I just try to jump into the meat of it to see like, what are the mechanics and how do they actually work together? Um, because, you know, those are two different uh, things. Uh, with regards to writing rule books, um, 
I don't have that much experience uh, of that up to this point, but in general, I start by writing an outline, like a super bare bones outline so that I can then uh, move things around to figure out what the order is gonna be. And then I add some detail to it. Actually, this brings up uh, uh, an interesting thing. Um, the only rule book I've written from start to finish at this point is Darwin's Journey. And uh, that one, uh, I actually did an interview with uh, Thundergriff Games. They interviewed me about it and we talk about the rules writing process, specifically working with them. Um, so if you're interested in learning and hearing me talk a bunch about writing a rule book, in particular that one, um, then definitely look that one up. I mentioned it in the update vlog for July. So if you look for my July 2020 update vlog, there should be a link to it in the description so you could uh, jump right over there and see it if that's something that you are interested in. Uh, Shrey says, woo, I like it when I hear others talk about how they really like the Stafford Dynasty. It is a really well done midweight Euro and I'm fine with the end game scoring cards. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. I think that one came out in 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of bigger other things came through. Also, even though that was a couple of years after Haunted Stonica came out, which is also designed by Andreas Stedding, I feel like Andreas Stedding didn't really get a lot more well-known in the general board gaming sphere until uh, Gugong happened. Uh, and so I think, you know, uh, Stafford Dynasty happening earlier than that um, is part of the reason why a lot of people just don't know about it or haven't really heard much about it. Uh, but I strongly recommend it. I think it's great. I, I do think it's great. Um, uh, Zombie God asks, what was the last film you watched and what would you recommend? Are you looking forward to the new Dune film? Um, well, I actually watched a movie last night. I watched the new Suicide Squad movie that came out on HBO Max and it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. I, and I liked it more than most other DC movies that I've watched, but I liked it less than many of the Marvel movies. Um, in general, I, I really like sci-fi type stuff. I like action as well. Uh, I rewatched, um, what was it? Mad Max Fury Road a month or two ago and was once again blown away by how amazing that game, uh, that, <laughs> that game, that movie was. Um, uh, two of my favorite movies are Interstellar and Arrival, which are both uh, uh, sci-fi movies, which are just amazing. So yeah, I, I would recommend those. And as far as the Dune movie is concerned, yes, I am quite interested in watching it. I wouldn't say I have super high expectations, but I want to see it. It looks beautiful. And I read many of the Dune books when I was a teenager. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many. I definitely read until it got super duper weird. And I read some of the uh, other stuff that was written by uh, Frank Herbert's son. Uh, I think I read four or five books in. Uh, and I always, I think, preferred the first book. I really did like the first book. So watching a movie of that first book, Sounds like fun. There's some really cool epic stuff that happens there, and I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it, although it might not be great. I'm going to try not to go into it with super high expectations. Uh, all right. I think that is going to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much to everyone who joined in live and everybody who uh, watches this or listens to it on the podcast later on. Um, this was a good one. Uh, it's not very often I get to talk about movies or music, really. I mean, I, I love talking about board games. This is all about board games, but um, sometimes it is fun to talk about other things that uh, I really personally enjoy. Uh, but yeah, I think that is going to bring this to a close. Thanks again, everybody.